Will you pray with me? Lord God, may the, the words of your scripture become life for us. May your teaching move us not only in greater knowledge, but in greater faith. And may all of us who worship you today, in spirit and in truth, trust in your provision and see that you can indeed give us great gifts that leave us never thirsting again. We pray in your holy name. Amen. Give me a drink. That's how it starts. And we may not hear the gravity in such a statement. We might say something like, can you give me a drink of iced tea with my baked chicken and the potato and the salad, maybe at a restaurant? Uh, when I'm running in a race, I may nod at someone or kind of flick my fingers as a way of saying, can you give me a drink as I'm running past the water station, uh, trying to make my way to the finish line? Uh, maybe this week you've wondered, uh, how am I going to get myself to drink because all the bottled water is gone from the stores? Um, but rarely, if ever, do we find ourselves completely relying on someone else to give us a drink. I don't think I've ever been thirsty, really. I can, I can remember uh, as a high schooler going to soccer camp in the midst of the summer and the sunbeams baking your skin and the coaches pushing you harder and harder and my mouth would get dry and my lips would get cracked and nothing was as refreshing as when they turned on that communal drinking fountain with a garden hose collected to some rigged up plastic device that spurted water out for like 10 people. Um, that was refreshing, but that's nothing. That's, that's not really being thirsty. I was thinking about Peter's story today. Peter's a, a modern day father who lives in Rwanda. Peter and his five kids wake up in the morning around 4 o'clock because that's when their family goes to retrieve water for the day. Uh, they take flashlights so they can see where they're going. Peter, his wife, his three sons and two daughters walk two and a half miles to the unprotected spring. And uh, the journey usually takes them two hours round trip. Uh, if they get a late start, then Peter's kids are late to school. Of course, they can only carry as, you know, have as much water as they can carry, so they don't have enough water for cleaning clothes. That's reserved for Saturdays. They don't have enough water for their cows, usually leading to poor milk production. Uh, there are some swamps closer to where they live, but if they drink from those, you risk, you know, waterborne illness. And so they go each day to collect what they need, even four-year-old Priscilla, uh, Dad Peter gives her a liter bottle and says, you need to collect some water with us to prepare for a lifetime of collecting water. As we find ourselves this week, kind of hunkering down in our, in our bunker of health safety, as we uh, are in this unfamiliar context of a, a virus-ridden nation, and as I worry about things like overrunning out of soap, or toilet paper, or bananas, I quickly return to Peter and think of his family, uh, where the words, give me a drink, really, really has weight. Jesus knew all about water, of course. Growing up in the rocky, dry land of Israel, he probably saw his mother 
go to a well, to a resource that didn't come easy to get water for their rituals of cleaning and cooking. So when Jesus encounters this lone woman at the well in the hot noonday sun, he certainly appreciates the task, the work required to draw water. You probably know this, but water is heavy. A one uh, pint of water weighs about a pound, so a five-gallon bucket of water weighs about 40 pounds. And so women would have to haul this much water maybe a few times a day for the demands of their large family. So Jesus admires what she's doing. And he is hot, and he's tired from his journey, and he has not packed a bottle of Dasani with him. And so in his dehydration, in his weariness, in his dizziness, he asks for some help, getting a drink, but I don't think he realizes who he's asking. Sadly, we don't know her name. The story doesn't tell us. But we do know that he is speaking to a Samaritan, and division and controversy between Jews and Samaritans has been going on for centuries. Uh, they had a lot of commonalities in their faith and in their scripture, but how they practiced their religion was a place they disagreed, particularly the how and where of worship. And so their theological differences have developed into some almost ethnic hatred. Not only is she a foreigner, though, she is a woman. And Jewish men, especially Jewish teachers, don't talk to women in public conversation. In fact, the Jewish Mishnah records that he that talks much with womankind brings evil upon himself, neglects the study of the law, and at last will inherit Gehenna, which is a word for hell. So naturally, the woman at the well looks at him, looks at Jesus, and says, Man, you shouldn't be talking to me. She, though, is used to lack of social interaction. See how she comes to the well at the noontime during the day? Strategically, a time when others wouldn't be there. When Jesus speaks to her, he's only speaking to one person. Why, why is that? You know, for, for some time I've interpreted her as a, as a sinful sort, along with some other preachers and such, looking at her five failed marriages and, and seeing her as perhaps promiscuous, but... We need to remember, marriage at her time was, was not so much something that women did, but something that was done to them. Marriage made all kinds of good sense. It was economically good, it was for personal protection, it was for partnership and aging, but, but women, marriage was still a business transaction between a dad and a groom. And the only way that marriage could end was if the husband died or if the husband divorced. So I don't think hers is a story of moral laxness. Maybe she's experienced uh, extreme grief, or maybe she's been cast aside by five people. Why would someone continue to be sought after by men and then rejected by them? How must that feel for her? How might it have led for her being disconnected from other women in her community. We think we know her, but we really don't. We can just see that she is alone. The disciples, if they had been there, would have said, Jesus, keep your distance. Avoid contact with her. 
Sounds like familiar words that we've heard this week. Keep your social distance. We've heard that in the midst of our health crisis. And of course, the act of self-quarantining ourselves may likely reduce the spread of COVID-19. But I've also heard this week what some of the unseen consequences can be if we separate ourselves for a long period of time. Isolating ourselves can lead to frustration, loneliness, and maybe even depression. People cutting themselves off from all forms of community and doing so may feel like no one sees them anymore. No one is aware of their struggle. No one is listening. In our attempt to protect people, especially people who are 60 and over, are we sentencing them to disconnection? Feeling that they are shoved off into a bubble of sorts where no one can touch them or engage them. Other people may feel removed by stigma at this time. One parent called my wife, who you may know as a nurse, saying that she was afraid that her son had contracted coronavirus because he ate at a Chinese restaurant. <laughs> you may laugh, but people are fearful of others thinking, oh, they might be the reason that someone's going to get sick. Oh, if it wasn't for that basketball player that got sick, they wouldn't have canceled all those games. You know, the glares at someone who's coughing a lot, the fear after hearing someone has traveled abroad, it makes people feel cast away. One reason or another, coronavirus or not, people are feeling alone. And I see that as true in the story of the woman in the well. So what does she really seek? What do any of us really need or seek? Well, like me, she is not going to air her problem. She's just going to remain on the surface with Jesus to start, the water surface, to be truthful. Um, and they're just talking about water and what he can do for you. And Jesus flips the roles and says, you know what? I should be the one getting water for you, living water that will never run out. And you know what? That sounds like a beautiful idea to her. Since living water, first of all, to her ears would mean fresh water, running water, clean water, rather than still contaminated water in her well. And abundant water would mean no more travels of burden to this work to draw this heavy water up. No more back and leg pain. No more blisters and burning on her hands. No more cutting into her flesh. Jesus' promise of this water sounds like assurance of good health. Boy, we'd like to hear that. But there are a series of problems with this promise. Look at him. He's exhausted. What's he going to do? He's too tired to pull up any water. And he can't because he doesn't have any kind of bucket. And there's no fresh water source anywhere nearby. Otherwise, she would be there. So the only way for him to do what he promises is some kind of miracle that would rival the ancestors of faith and their stories from long ago. So I imagine her being kind, but saying to Jesus, you don't have what it takes to get me what I need. Why do you expect me to think, Jesus, that you have anything for me when you're standing here with no bucket? I don't blame her for not understanding. First of all, she hasn't ever seen a Jew or a man that hasn't rejected her. 
And everything he's saying and doing is making her think, crazy person, I should just slowly back away. Do you ever look towards God and say, you know what, God? It just doesn't look like you have a bucket. <laughs> what, what can you possibly do that would help me right now? And maybe that sounds ludicrous. You know, but the creator, the originator of the universe, not having the tools to provide for my needs. Who would ever, who would ever say that? I might. I might have said it from time to time when I worry, how am I going to get out of this financial bind? Or how am I going to cope with this loss? Or how am I going to deal with this adversity? Or how am I going to calm down in this crazy coronavirus world? We want to believe Jesus is the Prince of Peace. The war rages. Our cries for help in the midst of cycles of violence go unheard. We know households where crosses hang on the wall, and yet we know there's not peace within them. It would appear that the well of peace is deep, and Jesus doesn't have a bucket. We want to believe that Jesus is the judge who will bring justice. But we look around and we see that things aren't distributed equally to rich or poor, to the weak or powerful. Many corners of the world, life just doesn't seem right. And that well of justice is deep, but Jesus, where's your bucket? We want to believe that Jesus will meet us all in love. But if we look around and we see the failure of love, where we expect it most, broken marriages or estranged families or lost friendships or bitter political rivalries, we see side-taking that debilitates and crushes others. And we wonder... Is that well of love just too deep? Does Jesus just not have a bucket? Or we think Jesus is the great physician. He can heal all infirmities. But the more medically knowledgeable we become, we become more frustrated when cancer comes so swiftly, or Alzheimer's settles so slowly and surely, or when the coronavirus lurks so silently and menacingly and abundantly. We hope that there would be a well of healing, that Jesus would come with a bucket that would be some kind of medicine or therapy or cure or preventative measures, but there he stands without a bucket, thinking he can give us what we need. What does this guy think? Who is he? And he answers, I am the Messiah. I am the Lord of life, and yes, I could fill your Yeti cup with clean, pure, physical water, but I'd rather provide a nourishment that touches your true brokenness and thirst. So we come back to our story today, and in remarkable fashion, Jesus engages this woman in conversation that leads her to a revelation that he knows where she hurts, and can do something about it. We don't even know if she ended up getting or drawing out any water from the well, because at the end, she runs back to town to tell everyone she's been drenched by this bucketless man who really sees her and tells her her own life story. How did he do that? He talked to her about relationships, not judging them, just naming them for what they are, and in doing so, he names the very things that are causing her pain and isolation and struggle and worry. He sees what's causing us exhaustion. 
Jesus sees what is making us feel unstable. He knows our thirst. Can you hear him speaking you today? What if you could have it? would allow you to breathe deeply and feel at peace. Jesus names it. Hers was a thirst for love and belonging. Even in her question about worship, it's a, a, it's a deeper longing for belonging. She wants to be included in the true fellowship of worshipers, but she doesn't know if worshiping at the Samaritan temple is good, or if she needs to worship where the Jews do, in Jerusalem. And to respond to her acceptance, her longing for acceptance, Jesus preaches transformation about how the mountain will not be the in place for worship or the city, but God is creating and transforming worship, crashing down walls between people so that all that come yearning for God's spirit and truth will do so together. God's going to change worship. God's going to change relationships. God's going to change our lives. God's going to change us. The woman at the well has certainly had a tough journey. Undoubtedly, it's been hard. She looks like someone who's been cut off and beaten down. And maybe that's made her tough. I mean, after all, here she is talking to a strange man, a guy with his own charisma, and she's going word to word with him. She's bold enough to tell him he doesn't have the tools he needs. She comes at him with her own faith knowledge. She's not afraid to pose tough questions. I like it. She's bold. She's also beloved. She may have forgotten that until she met him at the well. She received an amazing gift. The gift of respect. The gift of value. The gift of time to be nourished by another. The gift of love. It's the hardest, hottest part of the day. She's doing a demanding chore. She feels secluded and cut off. And yet God meets her and shifts her life and claims her. She was an outcast, but no longer. She was alone, but now she's part of God's family. The Messiah has come, not in general, but for her. In this time of anxiety, confusion, social distancing, in whatever safe yet creative ways we can think of, we need to remind one another of the love of Christ that closes the gap, that overcomes isolation, that erases our temptation to feel like we're abandoned and unwanted. And although we may self-quarantine due to COVID-19, we are not cut off from the love of Christ, and we shall not be cut off from one another. So I would encourage you in this stressful time to make a phone call, or to write an email, and to give words of encouragement to one another, so that we hear good, positive words, and we hear from each other that we are seen and remembered. I'm not really sure, though, what's causing your thirst today. I'm not sure if it matches the woman's longing for belonging. I'm not sure if it matches Peter's struggle for, you know, his daily journey for resources and how it exhausts him, and he has no time to enjoy his family. I'm not sure if your thirst is connected at all to the coronavirus scare. 
or dementia or heart disease. But I'm confident that the Lord Jesus Christ sees your concern. And I see Jesus sitting with you and telling you, I get it. This battle, this struggle is real for you. There are no easy solutions. And yet you are not alone. And soon and very soon, this concern of today will no longer be. And we will be changed. And God will bring us together so that our actions and our attitudes will be nothing but pure worship. So come all, come all who are thirsty. Today, many of you received a bottle of water that I, I'm the one who got it ready for you. If you have one with you, I just want you to hold it for just a moment. You'll see on it, it has a verse for us today. Whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. You know, you look at this bottle, this doesn't seem like much. 16.9 fluid ounces. It won't cover me for long. But look at it again. See how Christ's love pours into you. See how he brings us together, a beloved community, where no social distancing can destroy the unity we experience in our faith together. See in this water how he gives to us abundance, overwhelming, overcoming our despair about illness, or scarcity, or adversity. As we hold this water today, we see one who is coming who has no bucket, but gives us all that we need. Thanks be to God.